welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And uh, you can read with me. I'll be reading uh, from the CSB. The CSB. It says, he prayed to the Lord, Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Now, I don't know um, what you're doing where you are, if you're in a car or in your living room or bedroom or watch it on a, on a mobile device, but uh, maybe you shouted. Too many people in this room didn't get it when I talked about God's attributes. So let me read another version for you. This is the net version. He, being Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, this is just what I thought would happen. When I was in my own country, this is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. A little bit more people got me in the room. How about one more time? The message uh, says this. This is good. Sometimes let's just get a, a good idea or paraphrase uh, depending on the, on the verses or, or, or the narratives you're dealing with. And it says, or it, it relates to the idea is this, Jonah yelled at God. He says, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Lord have mercy. Let's talk a little bit about um, the title motivated by God's character. Motivated by God's character. Uh, none of the verses in the book of Jonah um, are verses that you would see on an IG post. Um, they're not the cushy verses. You know, when you ask somebody, what's your life verse? What's your favorite verse? They're probably not going to say anything out of Jonah. <laughs> um, it's not going to be something that you put on a refrigerator magnet, you know, along with I was in Spain and all this. It's going to be John 3.16 or Jeremiah 29.11, things like that, right? You're not going to hear much from Jonah, but there is wisdom for our whole entire life in the book of Jonah. Um, the story isn't warm and fuzzy. Um, nothing in the story is stereotypical. As a matter of fact, in the story, if you're familiar with it, God is really the only one who acts in character in the story. Um, everyone else is not acting in a stereotypical fashion. They act much, pretty much out of their character. Um, and in this story, God is in his bag. I mean, he uses all the tools. I mean, y'all know, like, if I watch a lot of sports. NBA playoffs just started. And, and y'all know when, when, when the heat get turned up and the pressure get turned up, the athletes pull everything out of the bag. Y'all know what I mean? They, I mean, everything. I mean, if you're looking at a Damian Lillard, a, a Steph Curry, a, I mean, well, Steph didn't make the playoffs, sorry. But anyway, 
Uh, you know, you're looking at these these people. I mean, they step backs and, and hesitations and sham gods and all this. I mean, making people fall and draining buckets and people, in, you know, at home. And they're going, oh, my goodness, how did this happen? They was in their bag. Well, God is in his bag in the story. He pulls out everything. He pulls out and uses a disobedient prophet. And his unjustified and unrighteous anger. He also pulls out strong winds that cause a sea storm, a captain and sailors who don't even know God, a big fish, a hot wind to turn the heat up on Jonah, a shade plant, and a worm. Ironically, all of those other things in, in the scripture are obedient except for the very prophet of God. But these are the tools that God uses to to preach to, to Jonah, even as he's supposed to preach to other people, we'll go through the narrative in a second, um, but also to preach to us today. Um, so Jonah's character, we're going to look at how it's juxtaposed with God's character. So just by way of illustration, right, um, uh, if you like to watch TV shows, why don't you, let me get a little uh, interaction, right? So if you're watching uh, uh, on, on, on YouTube or whatever the case may be. Go ahead and put in the comments or the chat, say TV shows. Let, me, let us know that you're watching. So if you like to watch TV shows, you'll know that they exaggerate and emphasize personality traits and behaviors of a fictional person. These shows, writers, and creators build the imaginary person's character and personality for the purpose of driving the actual story. So when they write the script, the script matters, but what drives the script is the character of the characters. That's what makes the, the, the story, especially when you're dealing with, with TV shows. It, it takes a long while to flesh out in movies, but when you're dealing with TV shows especially, right? And usually, especially if it's a sitcom, it's going to be for something hilariously funny, right? So that's what makes these scripts work, right? These characters and how they build them and their idiosyncrasies and they become pretty much exaggerated and super obvious, all right? Um, uh, so this is what causes the humor. The more time you spend watching the character, the more you can predict the madness that is about to happen in whatever episode that you're dealing with, right? For example, right, uh, one of my favorite characters, Bruh Man from Martin, right? I love, you know, he, he walk in that thing, you know, he get his little shoulder, you know, lump and everything, but usually... They will walk in, Martin and Gina will walk in and see him in their apartment. How did you get in here? You don't have a key. He probably came through the unlocked window. You know that when you're dealing with Brahman's character, lock your windows, lock your doors, because Martin and Gina should have learned long ago. When there's no sandwiches in the fridge, Brahman was there. You didn't act according to his character. Right. Or uh, my wife likes to watch. Sorry to put her on front street, but my wife likes to watch. I don't watch it too much, but the show Everybody Loves Raymond. But the couple of times that I tuned into it, uh, the dad in the show is Mr. Grumpy. Don't touch to him. Don't don't touch him. Don't talk to him. Leave him alone. Even his wife is always trying to get him to do things. He is Mr. Sit in his lazy boy. And that is his character. So that, you know, any episode that deals with this father is going to have some hilarious moments because of his character. Don't ask him to do anything nice. Um, or one of my favorites. Um, I'm a big Office fan. I watch The Office. And there's this manager <laughs> who manages this small paper company in, in Scranton uh, by the name of Michael Scott. And if you know this character, um, what makes the episodes hilarious is that he's this 
narcissistic person, right? He's self-centered. He's not self-aware. He's naive. He has blind spots. Um, he has probably unintentional prejudice, no tact, no discretion, immature and un uninformed. So all of the people in every episode in the office, when they're dealing with him, they deal with him according to his character. So sometimes things are said to him or withheld from him or things are done around him purely based on his character. Right. And so what makes the episodes funny is because they slip. You say something that you shouldn't say around Michael Scott or he finds out something that he probably shouldn't find out. And here's the, uh, uh, the many of the laughs in the episode. So we're going to go through a scenario and I'm just going to give a recap of Jonah just so we can get an idea of where we land at at chapter four. So just really quick. So in chapter one, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is the last great capital city. Um, of the Assyrian Empire. He wants Jonah to preach against the evil there. Jonah does not comply. So in his attempt to flee from God's will, he pulls out one of these uh, James Harden step backs and gets all this distance and tries to go to Tarshish, which is all the way across the Mediterranean Sea um, in the area of Spain. Um, so this is what he attempts to do. And uh, he disobeys God. He goes down to Joppa, boards a ship, and does this. Um, before Jonah could get across the Mediterranean, uh, God sent, or actually the, 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 the technical word in Hebrew would be what would, would point out to a meaning of he threw or hurled a storm in Jonah's direction at the ship, which created a wind and made the sea go crazy. Um, so much so that the ship almost breaks apart. Now, let me just pause real you know, here real quick. Uh, not, we don't do quarters and meters anymore, I guess in a parking garage or at a rest stop. So look, I find it ironic, and I don't want this to get lost on anyone. Um, it is true that God is not the source or the cause of evil. However, not all of our undesirable life situations and circumstances are from the devil or due to evil. I'll say it again. Not all of our undesirable life circumstances are due to evil or from the devil. Sometimes it is God himself who is sovereign throwing or hurling a storm in your direction. So consider that as we read through the story. Also consider that in your own life. Consider that God could be throwing a storm your way to grab your attention or accomplish his plan. So the sailors on the ship, they start praying, going through the narrative types of, they're praying to all types of gods. They're throwing cargo overboard, uh, trying to fight for their lives. Eventually, when asked, Jonah runs his bio, his credentials, his resume, and he says, um, um, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Hebrew. <laughs> I worship the God of heavens. Now, mind you, this is the same guy who is a prophet who runs away from what God tells him to do. And then is ready to represent on a ship while he's running away. And this is what he says. He says that he worships the God who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> Don't let this be lost on you as well. Think about this. Uh, was Jonah not familiar with Psalm 139.7? I'll read it really quick. Where can I go to escape your spirit? <laughs> Jonah is running, being a prophet of God. Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you would be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, the grave, you would be there. If I were to fly away on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the other side of the sea, which is where you're trying to run to, 
<laughs> Even there, your hand would guide me. Your right hand will grab hold of me. Jonah, what is you doing? Now, he has some reasons. Are they legitimate um, uh, uh, justifications? No, but he has his reasons. We'll get to that in a second. Jonah eventually tells them that this mess is his fault. He convinces them to throw him over, overboard. Um, they are hesitant, but they end up doing so. Um, and what's funny is Jonah's disobedience um, brought fear and reverence in that situation to the sailors because they ended up vowing to worship God. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. Then the part uh, that so many of us remember from Sunday school back in the day, the large fish was appointed to swallow Jonah. I don't know what it was. or what, I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I do know is that the script said it ate him whole or swallowed him whole. Right? So raw, straight looks, ahi tuna, sushi, I don't, no soy, no wasabi, whatever it is, just took him down whole. Now, this is funny to me because... Uh, in Psalm 139.7, we talk about God being everywhere, even in the grave or at a lowest point. And, and so here, Jonah is in the belly of a large fish. Um, there's hitting rock bottom, and then there's being in the belly of a large fish. I don't know if you want to call it fish belly bottom, whatever you want to call it, but a lot of our rock bottoms are not like that. So he is close to death. The, again, remember. Sometimes God is behind what we presently perceive as bad or undesirable. Jonah 1.17 says, the Lord is the one who sent the large fish, who appointed the fish. So Jonah almost dies in a fish's belly. He says a long prayer, has a lot of meaning in it. We don't have time to go through it today. But eventually, um, God commands the fish to vomit or upchuck Jonah on land. Back to square one, Jonah might be thinking, I could have just obeyed from the jump and avoided all of this. But God again says, go to Nineveh and preach against the evil there. This time, Jonah complies. Now, the preaching content seems to be limited. Um, and, 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 you know, remember, like, he doesn't even want to do this. Right now, he's doing this probably because, you know, you can't, you can't beat God. Yeah, yeah, like some of my, my growing up as a kid was, you know, if you in fourth grade and you're dealing with a sixth or seventh grader up the street and y'all get into an argument, the end of the argument is going to be, well, it's my ball. You can't beat me anyway. So, and so you just fall back and do what the bigger kid says. So I think Jonah is obeying here. You can't, God has already showed him, you're going to do what I say. I don't know. Next time you'll end up in a fish's belly or something worse. So Jonah um, does what God says. Um, he renders a prophetic message. Uh, to the, the city of Nineveh, which is a large city. It seems like he gives a small effort. He doesn't give a lot of details about um, what's going to happen. He just says 40 days and God's judgment is coming. The city will be overthrown or turned over. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if the people in the city are thinking, well, okay, well, who's going to do it? How's it going to happen? Jonah just preaches the message. The scripture doesn't tell us that he said anything else, but somehow God works miracles, and the people of Nineveh repent. And so here we are, Jonah's response to God showing compassion to Nineveh. Again, this displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. And then he goes on to say, 
So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. It's a bit comical, uh, don't you think, that Jonah is angry that God is slow to anger. How are you going to be angry when I have had compassion on you and your people? I decide to have compassion on another people, and you're angry because I'm not getting angry. Uh, Y'all ever see people that try to drum up arguments and they want to yell at you more to make you angry as they are. But that's not the character of God. It's also comical that while in the belly of the fish, Jonah acknowledges that salvation or deliverance belongs to the Lord. And then he is angry that God's salvation comes to the Assyrians as if distributing his compassion is not God's own prerogative. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So if you really believe that, Jonah, let the Lord have his salvation where he wants to to place it and who he wants to dispense it to. Um, Jonah is is highly familiar with God's character. God's character motivated Jonah, but not in a way that benefits those Jonah didn't like. Those who know God are susceptible to this. We love God's character when it means blessings and favor and good things and, and, and judgment that is threatened to move away from us, right? We don't care so much sometimes when those things, uh, 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 grace and mercy and favor is presented to people that we don't like, right? Well, we want God's favor. And sometimes we even feel entitled. God, what I did wasn't that bad, right? God, you should do this. God, why is this happening? We want mercy and favor and and God to relent when it comes to judging us for the wrong that we have legitimately done. But we often don't want that same thing for other people. So we should not be so quick to try to escape justice for ourselves and not want grace and compassion for others, especially others that we don't like. Jonah knew that on the off chance these evil Assyrians, even if it's 1% chance, Israel's enemies repented, then God would likely not hesitate to show compassion and lavish them with grace and mercy because that's who he is and that's how he gets down. So let's understand a little bit of background here. The Assyrian Empire is a bit uh, uh, northeast of where Jonah would be coming from. Um, When God wants him to go preach to these people, these are the same people who are considered to be probably one of the most brutal empires ever. They have come down repeatedly, fought and conquered bits of the northern tribes of Israel repeatedly. So in Jonah's mind, uh, um, God, you want me to go preach to the people that murder my people? You want me to go uh, to this courtroom and have mercy and forgive the person that shot my family member? I I know that you say in your word, God, that we are to pray for those who persecute us and love our enemies, but this is too much to live practically, God. We're going to talk about how Jesus addresses that in the future, uh, in a little bit. Compassion, mercy, grace, and faithful love is not only what he does, it is who God is. Those very things are defined by the nature of God. God does not uh, uh, um, uh, say, oh, this is the definition of compassion. Let me act according to the definition. God sets the tone for the definition of compassion, for the definition of mercy, for the definition of abounding uh, grace, being slow to anger. He is the one who sets those standards and those bars. 
to people um, that God did not that did not want to worship God, Jonah wants nothing to do with. To people that murder his people, Jonah wants nothing to do with, especially if it involves a plan of showing mercy to them. God's character makes God the type to do good, even to his enemies. So in lieu of three points, I got uh, just three questions for you. So um, again, if you're watching, uh, uh, go ahead and put in the chat three questions. Put in the comments three questions. Question one. How well do you know God's character? How well do you know God's character? His character as revealed in scripture and his character as revealed in human experience. It's important to understand that God is both knowable and unknowable at the same time. These are one of these paradoxical things uh, in the Christian life. Y'all with me? Y'all hear me? God is both knowable and unknowable. Think about it, right? He is knowable in terms of that he's come down, he's condescended. He has revealed himself in, in types and shadows and ways that we can understand, at least a little bit, right? But at the same time, even though he's close, he's still far away and lofty. At the same time, he is still lifted up and high above and far away, which makes the whole notion that he would come to save man, come to reconcile man, show how much of a distance he traveled. An infinite distance of being high and lifted up and far away and coming close. So God is both of these things at the same time. We can make a mental ascent to grasp him, but he's also hard to understand. So we have to be careful in dealing with God because how well we know God's character depends on what we've been told about God, right? Um, um, there is often a God who is, and there's a God that we like or we prefer. And sometimes they are not the same God. Sometimes we are creating an idol in our hearts and in our minds. For example, to you, is God your king or is he a genie? Does he exist to purely do what you want him to do? Or does he uh, become one in your life where you bow the knee to and submit to? There's a God that is a king and then a God that we prefer, a genie. There is a master and Lord or there's an accessory. Is God something that you put on your hip to carry with you like, like a bracelet or an earring or a case on your phone? Or is God your very essence and your being? There's a God who is. He is an anchor. Or do you treat God as maybe what you prefer, a crutch? Is he a compass and a GPS or merely a suggestion? Is he truth or an opinion? Is he the only way or, he is, a, or is he a plan B or another option? So when you know the character of God, you must know who you're dealing with. We're not talking about what culture defines God as. We're talking about whom God has revealed himself to be and whom scripture says that he is. There is a God who says he loves you. We love that part. <laughs> but there's uh, not the part, there's the part that we don't like, which is also God, but he is not the God that we prefer, the God who loves us. But if he loves us, he chastises us. He disciplines us. He sanctifies us. There's the God uh, that we want who hates my enemies and judges them and lets them see um, and lets me see all that they go through and laugh in their face when I bask in vindication and glory. Or there's the God who reconciles me and reconciles to himself the people I don't like. Which God are we talking about? 
We can't make God convenient uh, uh, to our preferences and likes when we want him to be convenient. We need to make sure that we are familiar with the character of God, who he is, and not a God of our preferences, a God of our own making, an idol. So how well do you know God's character? Jonah knew God's character. That wasn't his mistake. That wasn't uh, uh, the problem he had. He was informationally correct about who God is. Jonah knew that God is gracious, compassionate, patient, and merciful. Do we know this? Does that motivate our actions? Does knowing this motivate and influence our thoughts, our decisions, our plans, and our actions? So we beat Jonah up a lot. Like, I even do it a little bit here in this sermon, but the information that he had was correct. It was just his response to that information that was wrong. Uh, if you don't know God's character, let me give you just some building blocks for that. Psalm 86:15. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is what Jonah knew about God. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 103, 13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Exodus 34, 6, which is actually what Jonah was referencing about God's compassion, says this when the Lord is speaking about himself. The Lord passed, Exodus 34, 6, in front of him, Moses that is, and proclaimed, the Lord, speaking about himself, this fly right here, <laughs> the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Sound familiar? Jonah knows this. And maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Jonah knows that this is what God does. God, I don't want you to do this to these people. Do you know what they did to my cousin? You, I know how you act. <laughs> uh, um, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And even after Jonah was long gone, God did not change or flip up on his character. His character stayed consistent. Nehemiah 9, 30 to 31 says, you were patient with them for many years and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Let's take it to the new covenant. John 3, 16, 17, the oldie but goodie from Sunday school. For God loved the world in this way, or, or y'all know how y'all remembered it. For God so loved the world. <laughs> he loved the world in this way. What way? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. See, these are the basic fundamental, uh, fundamental things that you've learned maybe when you were a child if you were brought up in church. But are you forgetting this directly relates to God's character? He does not desire to bring a threatened judgment on anyone. He desires to reconcile them to himself. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorites. But God proves his own love for us in that while we are sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are still 
spitting on his commands, ignoring him, slapping him in the face and stepping on his mercy, swinging on him and his enemy. It's at that time that he says, Christ died for us. Now, see, see, Jonah knows the character of God. He doesn't want this anywhere remotely close to his enemies, people that he would love to see thrashed. Second Peter 3, 9, context being the Lord's judgment. The Lord does not delay his promise. As some understand delay, but, as, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, if you know, you know. And what the young people say now, right, all on the social media, if you know, you know. Put that in the, in, the, in the comments or the chat if you watch it. If you know, you know. How well do you know God's character? The hard truth is knowing God's character doesn't guarantee a right response to it. The Satan and the demons, they know God's character too. Jonah knew God's character too. His disposition to God's command in light of God's character is what led to him to his disobedience. So there is God who is and there is God, I love you for who you are. I'll obey you because of who you are. I won't move another direction because I think my preferences are what should be displayed here. Another question. Does God's mission matter to you? Question two, does God's mission matter to you? Good. Uh, there's a Latin phrase um, called modus operandi. Um, the definition in Oxford says it's a particular way or method of doing something, especially one that is characteristic or well-established. The way in which something operates or works. See, God's mode of operation is based on his character. His character desires reconciliation. Many of us don't see God as having a mission or being driven to accomplish something, but God does. He has plans and a mission. God's mission comes from his desires. God desires oneness and unity as modeled within the triune God himself. <laughs> he desires from the jump oneness and unity. God has desired a relationship with his creation called humans. And when we've messed that up, he went on a diehard mission. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, if we look at Jesus, he stops at nothing to accomplish this, even death on the cross. So to accomplish the mission of reconciliation between God and man... God is always at plans. He's always throughout human history working and moving and setting puzzle pieces up for the purpose of his glory and for the purpose of reconciliation. He wants to bring reconciliation. He prefers not because he's uh, long-suffering and, and patient and gracious to bring judgment. We're all familiar with MOs, right? Methods and techniques and styles, right? So, so back in the early 90s, um, uh, if you're around then, uh, we knew that when you saw backwards clothing, um, you knew you was going to deal with a, a kid rap duo named Crisscross. Uh, you know that when you see that yellow text crawl on a, moving, on a movie's opening credits, that if you're a Star Wars fan, it's time to get hyped because it's about to go down. You know that's how the movies begin. You're about to see some lightsabers and it's about to go down. Or in my uh, uh, situation, my personal vice, um, you know that uh, when you get those scrumptious nuggets, my wife's going to laugh, with the assortment of sauces and a sweet tea, and you say thank you, you know that that employee is going to say, my pleasure. Because you're dealing with Chick-fil-A, and that is their MO. They're going to kill you with the kindness. 
right? Even if you didn't want to buy something, I want to buy something now. But this is the style and character. This is what these places are known for. This is what these things are known for. Um, God is known for uh, uh, patience. He is known for being slow to anger. Jonah knows this. He is known for uh, uh, don't test me. I will judge you and flip a city over. But if you repent. Right. This is what God is known for. This is his M.O. Jonah knows God's mode of operation as it pertains to compassion. And like I said, he doesn't want his enemies even remotely close to this compassion. He wants his enemies thrash. Get them, God. You've seen what they did to me. You've seen how they lied on me. You've seen what they did to my family. Crush them. But we don't ever want to be the villain in somebody's story. We, we forget that we are the enemies of God who are brought close. <laughs> Y'all hear me? Look, question number three. Last question, I'll be out your way. Do you want for others what you want for yourself? Do you want for others what you want for yourself? We want and sometimes even feel entitled to grace and mercy. Paul even addressed this. He says in context for this, God forbid, right, because because we expect and assume that God is going to act based on his character, we go ahead and maneuver in unrighteousness anyway. Right. God, uh, Paul warns against this um, because uh, just because God has a character, we don't abuse it. He's not going to tolerate that. But um, it's funny that we expect this. We even feel entitled to it sometimes. Um, uh, however, all, um, however, we often feel that others can't or shouldn't have this same grace and mercy extended to them. Jonah in this narrative is mad and he's not just slightly annoyed. I mean, he is infuriated. So we have time. Go and read. It's a short uh, four chapters. Go and read and, and get all the details. So much so he's infuriated that he uses phrases like this. I could just die. And he even asked God to kill him. I mean, that's being consumed by some anger. Right now, again, we can't point the finger at Jonah. Um, you know that you've been infuriated sometimes. <laughs> you know that you just oof, and you have to walk away because if you stay there will be hands on neck ministry right well, I mean we know this right so but but when you let that fester right even for an understandable reason not justifiable but understandable remember the Assyrians have done the most brutal things to the northern kingdom of Israel um, over time Right. And so uh, Jonah does not want to see goodness come to them. Right. He could not accept seeing compassion come to his enemies. Um, isn't this the opposite of the character of God, though? God uh, doesn't want any to perish. He desires and prefers to dispense compassion. Jonah does not want compassion to people that he does not like or people that are his enemies. God wants compassion for his enemies. Jonah and Israel are recipients of grace. God chose them and decided to be compassionate. Yet recipients of grace can't tell the grace dispenser how and when and to whom to distribute grace. We're the recipients. We don't get to determine or dictate to God who dispenses who it should and shouldn't go to. So the question is, who does Jonah think he is or who do we think we are? We have no right 
No justifiable rationale to be angry with God for being who and what he is, which is compassionate. So what would be your heart's disposition if God says to you that he plans to bring compassion and grace to that coworker that you don't like? The one that lied on you when maybe they asked that coworker if you would be good for a particular position and you missed out. The politician that you don't like, that you want to see a hammer come down on. The family member that has wounded you. The friend that has betrayed you. The loved one who has abandoned you. The ex who has cheated on you or the list goes on. What if God wants to bring compassion to that person? Or are you like Jonah sitting outside of the city as he does um, uh, in the narrative in chapter 4 in, 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 in Jonah, and he's waiting, hoping that, man, I'm just going to wait here and maybe God's going to overturn the city. And then God doesn't because they have repented. God even asked him later on in the narrative, do you even have a right to be angry? And then God sets him up, causes a shade tree to grow to cool him off from the heat. Jonah's happy about this, and then God appoints a worm. All of these things are obedient to God except for Jonah. <laughs> and then God appoints a worm to destroy the plant, and Jonah is mad that his shade is gone. And then wants to be mad that God is bringing compassion to people. Where are our priorities? The only reason we want to see God's character gatorated um, uh, or Gatorade bucketed over enemies is because we recognize that we are also enemies. If you don't see yourself as such, you don't see yourself accurately and correctly. If you think God has come to your doorstep because you think you were well behaved as, as a younger person, you think you had the right education, you think you helped enough ladies across the street, you think that it was the other kids who got spanked and not me, <laughs> you're self-righteous and sadly mistaken. Our best before God falls terribly short. Do you see yourself as God's enemy or once God's enemy? Do you realize that you are an enemy of God who has shown compassion and reconciled and brought in on the outs with judgment sitting over your head and brought in? And do you want that for others who are God's enemies who may also be your enemies? If you are a recipient of God's grace as it pertains to salvation through Christ, you are a beneficiary of God's character. Know that um, God's character, you are, uh, that in God's character, you can be motivated to see that same compassion reach others. That's why I love that what we do here um, at Epiphany with the Surge Ministry, reaching out and showing the glory of Christ in every area of life and, and evangelizing, looking at people, not looking at them as you're on the out. I'm on the end as if we've somehow made some intellectual decision and decided, yeah, it's a good choice to follow God. No man seeks after God. If you're in, it's because he brought you in. Your only response is to say, thank you. Who else would you like me to bring in? Jonah did not want to see or be a part of God's compassion reaching the Assyrians in Nineveh. He would rather have died to see the goodness of God come to others. Do we want to see the goodness of God, grace, compassion, patience, and faithful love come to others? Remember, God's character makes God the type to do good, even to his enemies. Again, remember, God's 
the type. He has character as the type to do good even to his enemies. That includes me and you. Let's pray. Uh, Most high God, you, uh, uh, the only reason that we can talk to you now is because you have brought us in. In the old covenant, people who had tried to represent the people to you who would come before you and make any flaw or any mistake would be struck down. That's because your enemies deserve this. (laughs) But God, you have brought us in. Let us get right what Jonah got right. He knew the word of God. He knew what you were like. He knew that you were full of compassion, abounding in love, slow to anger. He knew that you were waiting to turn plans of judgment into a program of forgiveness. And because of that, he did not want to see that come to people he did not like. He would rather have died. God, thank you for bringing us in. Sanctify us and make us into the people who would rather die doing the opposite. Make us into the people who would stop at nothing if we die physically, culturally, socially, whatever it may be, to bring your grace, your compassion to other people. And so we thank you for bringing enemies like us close. We thank you for redeeming us. God, put us on a mission to want to see that for others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now it's the time we're going to transition to communion. And we should keep in mind that this is a reminder of what God has done. He has brought us in when we were enemies and stopped at nothing, even the body and blood of his own son. So an upper room was prepared for Christ and his disciples. And uh, while going over some things there, even mentioning who would betray him, Christ took bread, broke it, gave it out to his disciples, and he told them, look, this represents my body that is given for you. Let's take, let's eat, let's remember the body, the sacrifice done for us. In the same way, he took the cup, gave it to his disciples, and let them know that this is blood of a new covenant, blood that is shed for them. Let's take, let's drink, and remember the sacrifice that is done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. You're good. As I take this bread, this cup, I'm reminded that the only reason I do it is because of your sacrifice. It's a constant reminder. As we go from here, please keep us safe. Um, Be with us, protect us uh, until we're able to gather and meet again. And God, we pray that um, as we go through this pandemic, 
even as we may even seek to gather again that you would keep us safe. And we look forward to us being able to lock arms and gather in person again. And God, most of all, thank you for bringing us in. Give us that same passion, the same character that you have to want to see grace for others. In Christ's name, amen. Go uh, in peace, those who are here and uh, those who are watching. God bless you. Have a good day. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.